Welcome to Making Sense of MarTech, an irregular set of conversations with some of the most interesting people in marketing, tech, and advertising. I am Juan Mendoza. I write the MarTech weekly newsletter. It's a weekly email that covers important shifts in marketing tech. People who work in some of the world's largest media tech and marketing companies read it. You can read, listen, and subscribe at themartechweekly.com. Okay, so I'm very excited to have uh, Neil Halliday uh, on the podcast. Uh, he's the event director for APAC at the Big Data and AI World event, focusing on data, AI, and MarTech. Uh, during Neil's time, he's built one of the most successful data-focused events in conference series in APAC in a huge sprawling network and ecosystem around data, MarTech, customer experience, digital transformation, AI, machine learning, diversity inclusion, connecting people from all over the world and generating business opportunities in the Asia, Asia Pacific region. Now, Neil has worked in a number of technology companies as well. And over uh, my period of time getting to know Neil, um, as I am speaking at an upcoming event in Singapore, um, I've got to know a little bit more about his perspective on the industry and his bird's eye view on marketing technology in Asia and all the moves and the changes and the shifts and the challenges of building great marketing technology businesses in that part of the world. So now I give you Neil. Hey, Neil, how you doing? Hey, Juan. Good, mate. Thanks for having me on. Oh, great to have you. So, Neil, I have to ask you the question, what do you love about working in MarTech? What's big data and AI world all about? But what do you love about this industry? And to be honest, you know, I'm quite a personable myself. You know, I quite like the... The ability to kind of, you know, meet all these interesting people from definitely like all over the world. I mean, I know we're based in Singapore for the events, but, you know, we run them all over Europe, all over sort of, uh, Asia. We used to run up in Hong Kong also. Um, it's great getting to meet all the different people, all the different technologies that are kind of drive of the innovations that are kind of coming out across the different industries. You know, we touch on everything from, you know, data, obviously data, AI and analytics for our event. We've got the technology from marketing side, e-commerce, cross-border, um, all the way to like, you know, data centers, cloud infrastructure, DevOps, cybersecurity, you know, you kind of name it. The, the event kind of covers the whole tech stack. And, you know, it's great to be able to meet lots of different people from different walks of life that are just, you know, passionate about driving innovation and technology. See, that, it's really interesting because uh, I can't think of many events at a global level that really bring together all of those different categories. And it's all under one big roof in the, um, the Marina Sands area there, which is a beautiful venue. Um, and the event is actually happening over the 12th and 13th of October. Um, and there's a ton of stuff that happens along with big data and IO world throughout the year as well. But um, what I really think is quite interesting is your sort of bird's eye view perspective across the industry, uh, making these connections, helping uh, a lot of these uh, technology brands find an audience, uh, find partners, find customers, uh, really making that sort of um, that meeting place for the industry in that part of the world. It's, it's very interesting, but given that you have this really big, big picture of view, I mean, what are the broad stroke things that you think are happening across the industry right now when the data and the MarTech space what are the major shifts that you're seeing at a sort of really high level? And then we may just dig a little bit deeper into what you found so far, but yeah, what are those big picture um, changes that you're seeing? Yeah. Uh, God, I mean, that's a, it's a sprawling question, but you know, <laughs> we're fortunate kind of enough to have, be able to provide this platform. Right. And, you know, we, it's like a call and response to what's going on as a market in the industry. You know, we 
started off with the clown event because obviously the uptake, I mean, that was probably what, 10, 11, 12 years ago now. We've been running here for over a decade. And then um, the event itself, you know, it's just been a platform for different innovations as they've become more and more important to the sort of enterprises that have been growing in the region. Um, obviously starting off with cloud and then the data center side of that. And then with that, obviously the cybersecurity became a part of it. And then the data and AI, you know, it's becoming more and more of like the commercial asset for the businesses. And then obviously with the massive uptick in e-commerce and then the associated kind of MarTech industry that's kind of fueling the personalization and engagement and all that across the board. It's like we essentially are glorified janitors with a hall that we cater to the market. So like that's, <laughs> you know, I mean, that's kind of what we do. And uh I guess like to drill down into, you know, there's a couple of points probably that, I mean, you're, that anybody that's kind of working in data in Asia, especially in the enterprise, they'll see, I mean, there's still the same old <clears throat> issues. You know, there's lots and lots of messy data everywhere, you know, everything from sort of integration issues to legacy infrastructure, you know, mergers, acquisitions, you know, it's just data silos sort of everywhere, you know, and I think like from the data side of things, you know, you've got obviously a lot of innovations coming out in the database market. I mean, that, that market is on fire right now. There's so many vendors, which again, we can touch on a little bit later. The open source like technologies that are coming out to support everything from, you know, DevOps to data to like the MarTech handling side of things. Um, one of the sort of key things in that we've seen is like the data lakes and data warehouse solutions who are getting more and more sophisticated. And like you touched on before, it's like they're growing their sort of list of partner solutions so that they could offer a more all-in-one solution for the use cases that are kind of demanded of it. Um, Snowflake's a perfect example of this, you know, because they've got this big ever-growing partner list to be able to satisfy their client's use cases. Um, on a big, big point, which again, I think we'll touch on a little bit later, and also the fact that our event is covering this as one of the sort of key themes is the privacy issues and the regulation changes. You know, like Asia... There's lots of different countries, different rules, different ramifications for the different reg uh, privacy regulations. You know, there's a lot of different solutions now coming out to try and handle this. Again, everything from the integration side all the way through to the sort of act activation. So for us, it's kind of important to cover that at the event. We've got a big sort of focus on governance and privacy, again, which you're going to be speaking on at the events, which, you know, I'm super excited for your session. Um, all the way, I guess, down to, you know, the, the Google argument, will they, won't they, you know, I'm sure everybody's sick to death of hearing about cookies by now. Um, but, you know, off the back of this, there's been a lot of innovation for the future of identity, you know, flock aside, um, you know, the trade desk, guys like Lotome and that coming out with alternative identifiers, um, you know, they're all seeing sort of great results coming off the back of this, you know, a bigger focus for organizations kind of on their first party data strategies, uh, you know, how customer data is handled across an organization, and then how to effectively leverage that into dollars, you know, reducing churn, retaining your customers, all that good stuff that the MarTech guys sort of help with. Um, and I guess probably the final point, I, like it's been a, a growing thing for years, but I mean, it's just AI for everything now, you know, I think more and more companies have been using and are going to continue to use artificial intelligence to improve, I guess, everything from like customer engagement, customer experience, you know, personalization, creative testing, all the way yeah, to, down to user segmentation, ad optimization, you know, sales forecasting, everything, but especially in Asia Pacific, you know, because there's a lot of uh, a wide range of, you know, different languages, different cultures, different markets. So I think that's going to be another kind of driver of innovation across like all the technologies we cover it, it, it's really interesting how in sync we are 
uh, Neil, <laughs> in that um, I recently just did a talk on uh, what's the third wave of marketing technology. I mean, we've been through the 90s dot-com boom, yeah. uh, birth companies like eBay and Amazon and the first sort of marketing automation platforms and web analytics was just coming into market. Then you had the 2010 SaaS boom and yeah. mobile boom. That All of that space was going mobile, app, cloud and SaaS businesses. Um, and that really sort of brought us to the MarTech category as it should have, as we have it today. Yeah. But then, you know, every, all the elements that you just touched on at a really high level, I think constitute that third wave, like that massive shift in thinking about marketing technology, whether it not be privacy and the yeah. role of customer identity in your business. I mean, there is just so much ex uh, companies building in that space right now, innovating. Yeah. That touches on, uh, as you mentioned, ad tech and tracking and what's going to be the next cookie Will there ever be a cookie or a third-party cookie to identify and target users across domains? I mean, that's another element. Um, AI, machine learning, it's just augmenting not just the, the, uh, the communications or the analytics side, but also marketing skills. I mean, some of the um, design and the generative um, concepts coming out of AI right now are exploding. It's unbelievable to see all of these illustrations, design, video content generation um, alongside with very smart analytics solutions that are driving, um, you know, smart attribution using AI tools. And yeah. I, even just today, actually, I saw an interesting product that uh, replaces search. So instead of going to Google and typing in a search bar, you have a conversation with a generative copy AI that will give you the answers as it's scoured the web in a really contextual way. So you've got all of these different trends. You've got the cloud, you've got privacy, you've got AI, and they're all coalescing. I mean, that's different directions, but I think these are the sort of the groundswell of the next generation of startup innovation. But what are your thoughts? I mean, we're in the Asia region, um, in terms of MarTech and data and, and AI, where are you seeing some of those innovative companies come from and what are they thinking about? God, I mean, again, another sprawling question there. Well, that's the, uh, I guess, you know, like, as, I, as you touched on before, and as I have mentioned probably a few times, you know, we're quite fortunate to be able to be kind of at the bleeding edge of all of this, like, because we handle so many different clients and different technologies and stuff. But I guess for me, you know, a lot of the companies now, you know, despite the current market conditions that are pulling in kind of really hefty investments, um, I've seen across the data landscape, specifically in the database space, you know, like that's data stack, single store, starburst, even Atacama in the sort of governance space, you know, they've all brought in really hefty, big rounds of investments recently, you know, and that's all driven from the companies like now utilizing and seeing data as like a, a tangible business asset, you know, and the, the values that are kind of being derived from it. Um, I touch on the customer data platform companies as well, especially because, you know, we're working with companies like Lexer, Telium, MParticle, Miro, um, all of them joining us on site. They've got a raft of great use cases coming out across industries. You know, they're solving again for the messy data and driving that personalization and engagement. Um, I think again, for this e-commerce, I guess, side in the MarTech as well, you know, obviously COVID has been a huge driver for that mass offline to online activity. Um, and that's driven a lot of innovation across the industry. You know, we've got companies like who are working with Meta this year who are doing like a really cool kind of metaverse experience on the sort of Oculus headsets on site. I don't know specifically what they're going to but it's going to be like a whole area where people can like actually sample the metaverse and all the sort of stuff that's kind of coming out on that. Uh, but I guess the, the top three, I would kind of see those kind of being pervasive across the companies we work with. But um, 
all of it, I think, is going to eventually come back to like this. Like, again, we touched on the cloud economics, you know, the runaway kind of costs, expense, everything again, given market conditions and that, we get more and more granular. Um, but again, the surprising thing is the size of investments that are still going into the industry and the data. And, you know, it's still obviously a very, very important part for the enterprises that are operating in the region to be able to successfully manage, distribute, and handle, and utilize it as, as like in the best way they can as a business asset. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. Uh, the, uh, in terms of the cloud, I think that innovation around the cloud and this push from companies like Snowflake and uh, uh, AWS, Azure, um, a great piece that actually just came out this week from Miles Younger. He's the um, go-to-market VP at MediaMonks. Uh, he actually talks about it in this way. I might just read out this quote because I think it's a great way to frame this sort of shift towards the cloud. And, you know, it's a bit of a surprising one because you'd think, well, the cloud has been around for a while now, Neil. Like, why is this an innovation vector on the industry? Well, I think a part of it is actually a cloud in terms of the enterprise is actually still just a very small share of spending in terms of data yeah. services. A lot of the share of spending is still on on-premises. But the cloud is growing, but here's a great quote from Miles. He says that instead of standalone prescriptive ad tech products, a DSP, an ad server, a CDP, and so forth, advertising stacks may take on hybrid qualities with prescriptive, uh, prescriptive to ad tech activation layers supported, enhanced, and connected to other systems and data sets via an underlying flexible cloud platform layer. As the most rigid, duplicative, opaque, expensive, and insecure parts of ad tech get eaten up by cloud platform services, marketers and agencies will need to quickly become cloud native in order to navigate digital advertising over the next few years. My question to you, Neil, is that how do you, do you agree with that thesis from uh, Miles Younger? Do you think the cloud, these platforms, Snowflake and AWS, uh, do you think they have a good, decent shot of gobbling up some of the ad tech environment? Um, I think they do. I think there's an interesting value proposition there about bringing all of that data into one environment, but there are trade-offs as well. But what are your thoughts on that? Well, I mean, it's definitely, I mean, it's a fairly, again, big statement there. But like, I, I do agree with it in terms of like the, especially around the opaqueness and, you know, the ad tech industry has been like calling for a shakeup for a long time, you know, it's a <laughs> cesspit of uh, God knows where your money goes and who knows what the ROI is despite all the proclamations. But, you know, I think there's, there's a couple of things that will affect that, you know, like we touched on from the privacy standpoint, you know, like it'll come back to the data, you know, like across Asia, some kind of, some re like specially regulated industries are still have to be on premise, right? They don't have the flexibility to be able to adopt like cloud solutions yet, right? So like financial institutions, say like Indonesia or uh, Philippines and stuff still have quite rigorous um, regulatory environments when it comes to that. You know, the Philippines is changing a little bit now with the, the recent uptick of banks getting their digital licenses. But like, you're right, it's still a very small part, if you think of the industry globally as a whole, that are actually kind of fully on the cloud, but it's still a pervasive enough technology that eventually it should kind of become the de facto, um, I think. For sure, but it'll definitely be driven by the regulatory environments of the countries that they're trying to do this in. Yeah, it's it's fascinating. I mean, I think there's an element of this. You know, the concept around um, this idea of going to the cloud is building a modern data stack. And I mean, oh, yeah. most enterprise brands, they're, they're living on these sort of old school, I mean, like old IBM yeah. systems and systems that are just archaic in the sense that it's very hard to integrate with them, very hard to get data out. 
And then that actually prevents brands from competing in digital marketplace. I mean, you just touched on yeah. California. We've been through two years of COVID-19, this massive shift of awareness around the value of digital services and the necessity they have in, in society. Brands need to be in that space. Brands need to be building experiences. I mean, when you're competing with, say, you know, even look at how uh, Uber, Uber has gobbled up the hospitality industry in terms of Uber Eats or Amazon has, has sort of uh, disrupted e-commerce and retail over 20 years. Um, and you've got Netflix and um, and then others, Disney Plus, that are rapidly innovating in the um, in the entertainment sector. I mean, tech and digital experience that's a massive differentiator for brands now. I mean, if you're not really prepared to deliver a great experience, then it's very hard to compete in a world where customers have certain expectations. And I think a part of that is, well, where does your data sit? Because if it isn't legacy systems, everything grinds to a halt. So the value proposition of like Snowflake and AWS and these big cloud players is things like you're able to do real-time data pipelining. You're able to do um, personalization at scale. You're able to do these things if you have data sitting in the cloud. Um, that's that whole premise of the, uh, the modern data stack. But I do think the one layer on this is that these platforms are expensive, Neil. They are very expensive. Uh, compute yeah. storage costs are very, very expensive for brands. And that is a shock. I mean, I've, I don't know how many uh, jokes I've seen on Twitter recently about AWS bills, developers building things and getting a shock $300,000 bill at a, as a startup. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, uh, it's hilarious, right? Because yeah. it, like just as ad tech, you can't, you don't really know where it's going, right? But, but with uh, with this with the cloud, you still have this question of like, well, why does it cost as much as a store data in in a um, in a data farm somewhere? I mean, so I think there's a bit of balance there. I mean, the yeah. cost is a bit of a the sticker sticker shock of that is a challenge, but I do think the ability to scale data operations and experiences for customers is, is going to become more important. Yeah, for sure. I wondered how long it was going to be that we were going to have a conversation before the modern data stack came up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. all of uh, it. Should have started my stopwatch at the start, <laughs> and that's going to be one of the topics um, at the event. Is uh, you have a number of vendors. You've got um, the CDP Institute, which is great. You, yeah. as you mentioned, you've got a lot of CDP vendors. A great place to have that those discussions and those debates. Um, and the great thing about the industry, particularly that corner, is that a lot of the executives are really into that discussion and that topic, yeah. and that they're willing to add their thoughts. So um, I, it's a great sort of space to have that. Um, but let's talk about privacy for a second. Um, as you mentioned, I've, I am I'm actually speaking at this event um, about privacy. I'm doing a talk on the privacy winter and all the things that make up an increasingly private web. And, uh, and Neil, I wanted to ask, because there's not just me talking about privacy, there's many, many other people talking about privacy, and you've got a whole sort of section dedicated to that topic. Why privacy? I mean, what are you seeing in the market that's really saying, well, we really need to force some uh, discussion and debate and innovation in the privacy space? Uh, what are you seeing in that? Well, I guess my, my idea to run this came from when, you know, I launched this event here back, you know, when was it, twenty. 15, 20, no, 2016 as a soft launch and stuff, and then grew it out to be kind of the size it, well, almost the size it is today, but then COVID kind of happened. So during that, you know, I got a bit of experience working on the CDP side with a local um, company of mine, Miro, who, again, I'm still working with for, for the events. And through that, you know, I met uh, David Rabb and the CDP Institute guys. And, um, you know, I got to thinking once I came back onto the event site about just how many pain points the companies are facing around this 
topic, you know, from everything, as I said, like the event itself is, to, is, is designed around kind of everything from data integration, data management, which we have a separate theater for, you know, AI machine learning. And then uh, we, I, I decided to, you know, approach David uh, and the CDP Institute to see if they'll be up for doing some sort of collaboration. And then we drilled down and basically focused on kind of the customer data side of things across the engagement and then hand in hand with that, the privacy. So, I mean, it, it's just, it's a no brainer because like anytime data resides within an organization, there's all, or there's inherent risk with how the data is handled, right? And based upon that, well, this is, this is based upon like the, again, I, I will use these words too many times, but the regulatory environment of the countries that we're in, you know, operating in Asia, like effectively like activating your customer experience, your customer engagement and everything, you know, it's fraught with potential missteps. And I think the reason I wanted to do it with David and that is once I came back, you know, it was around about the time that the, the Singapore governing body changed the regulations and the ramifications for mishandling of customer data. So I think the fines have gone up to, I think it's like 10 million no, no, sorry, sorry, a million dollars or 10% of your company's annual revenue. You know, you think that's a hammer blow to like SME operating here. You know, maybe an enterprise can absorb it. I mean, it would still be somebody's head in the chopping block, right? But I mean, that's a pretty serious ramification right there. So obviously that is a key driver, plus the pain points of actually successfully handling customer data across, like you said, different silos, different business, different acquisitions and stuff is, is a huge task in itself. Um, and I think... As we said, APAC itself, well, Asia has got the most like, internet users of anywhere in the world, just due to the population. Like you touched on the super apps and everything earlier on, you know, which especially in places like Indonesia, like Singapore, you know, you said Uber, we've got Grab and everything. You've got Go, Go, Gojek and Tokopedia emerging up in Indonesia, we're going to now. It's like the nuances across those different uh, various country regulations are just so plentiful and no two are exactly the same. And I think, you know, it's essentially a minefield for companies to navigate this successfully and it can easily set them up for failure. So using the event as a platform and, you know, connections with the CDP Institute, like guys like yourself and the partner network, and then the vendors we work with to sponsor the event, plus all the end users from, you know, the banks, the insurance companies, the retailers, like all these chief data officers, like heads of AI, Head, you know, heads of analytics and stuff, bring them together for two days. Cause these are, these are the guys in the front line designing these architectures and designing like how their companies are set up to be able to successfully navigate this kind of sea of, of regulation, these messy customer data or messy data in general. That's a good point that you raised that, um, we're in this very unique season of, um, I would, wouldn't say it's a season of privacy as such, but more of a season of data ethics. Yeah, I mean, it's been, you know, a lot of brands over particularly the past 15 years with the boom of SaaS and the cloud have been aggressively collecting as much data as possible. And part of that is thinking, oh, you know, we need to collect data because it's kind of like an insurance policy. We'll never know if we need it for analytics or for a use case or for, yeah. you know, a whole bunch of things. Just chuck it into Amazon Redshift in cold storage. It'll be fine. And yeah. I think now we're getting to a point where it's like, well, what is all this data for outside of the ROI and the these actual revenue opportunities, you know, the opportunities to create, you know, great AI applications, commercial use. But, you know, now we're having all these privacy hammers drop around the world. I mean, Sephora in uh, California is a really good edge case here looking at, well, Sephora was, was fined more than a million dollars. And oh my goodness, like they yeah. are 
a consumer brand. So you look at that and you think, well, okay, um, if a brand like that, that just that literally just sell products with very thin margins are being fined more than a million dollars for on-selling uh, their customer data to ad networks, that can happen to anyone. You know, these fines are not just isolated to Google or Facebook or the, the big ad tech players. It could also be for, as you point, this small to medium enterprise that couldn't absorb something like a 10% tax yeah. on your revenue based on privacy practices. Um, yeah. So what are your thoughts? I mean, it's, I think it's a very interesting season, I think, um, but I, I think it's less about how do we react to regulation and, um, and, but, and, you know, all of these different rules coming down and how do we react to big tech and how they're cutting off different avenues of collecting data to more like, well, what is our philosophy of data? Like, what is our ethical outlook? What, how much, what are the limits to what we want to collect? I mean, do you have discussions like that with leaders? Cause I think that's going to be one of the challenging discussions we'll probably have at the event is yeah. the ethics of data and how do we actually think about it beyond just the ROI? But you know what, like on that, I think that. It's an interesting point about the ethics of data, but I would wager like the bigger companies are now coming more and more in this one. I mean, how many times in the news do you see like, you know, Meta or like Google or whoever has broken privacy regulations, massive fights, blah, blah, and just get on with it, but you know, they can absorb it. But a little company, you know, might not necessarily be some sort of nefarious mishandling of customer data. It could simply just be the fact that they're, the way they're set up is some old spreadsheet has got some random contact that had opted to have their customer data removed and some poor marketer has sent out like a, an EDM and the guy's got it in complaint and boom, fine. You know, it could be something as simple as that where we're not talking about like ridiculous kind of uh, big enterprise company architectures to keep in top of. So it's, it's, it's a tough question, man. Like, I mean, I, again, as the janitor of the hall full of all these amazing solutions that can cater to this, you know, I'm, I, I, I'm interested to kind of find out more about it myself, you know, I think. Yeah. I mean, because it's, it's fascinating that there's, you've got brands that want to obviously protect their reputation because privacy and protecting your customer's data is about their safety. So yeah. brand is an element here of the privacy debate, but also is reacting to regulation, fines, and all the other aspects, right? So this whole conversation about privacy is about risk. And I think yeah. about, well, the tech vendors that are coming in, they want to manage the risk, right? They want to manage the, they want to help brands manage the risk through tech, through observability. There's some fantastic platforms coming out to market. One that um, I've been looking at recently is Stack Moxie, and they okay. do data observability platforms and um and they do that specifically for marketing tech and marketing ops um but one of their big plays is actually on private it's like hey know where your data is going have the event log of every single transfer of data between apps so you know exactly what's happening if yeah. there's a misidentification if there's an error you know uh, being able to actually see that in real time is actually an advantage to a brand because then they can have observability traceability across what they're doing with their data now that's just one SaaS company. That's one brand that's trying to uh, make their way into privacy. But I also think that on the other side that, um, yeah, there's a conversation here about, well, like how do you safeguard your customer safety and don't end up as you, as you may have read as the Optus situation where they've just lost, I think 10 million customer records to yeah. the data breach. You look at that, well, that's reputational harm to a brand as well. And so yeah. I, I do think that the tech vendors want to solve some of these problems and it's great, but I think it does start with, you know, what's the strategy here? You know, what's the value? A hundred percent. I mean, that's what it comes back down to. You think it's like how, I mean, it obviously depends on the size of, of the company, but ultimately it comes down to like your, your, you're right, your data strategy, but also kind of how 
it's all kind of set across the business, right? Because, you know, if you're a huge business with multiple business units, typically you need to have processes in place to kind of be stewarding and governing everything correctly. Otherwise, you're just setting yourself up for failure. Like it definitely comes down to how the processes are put in place and how everything is handled. And then the technology is kind of an enabler to make that a possibility or make that happen, you know? Yeah, I agree that the tech tech as an enabler shouldn't play that strategic role. But I mean, I don't know if it was last time you tried to change email preferences with an enterprise brand that you're a customer of. And yeah. oh my goodness, it's like <laughs> shipping the org chart. I mean, you know, the amount of layers that you have to go through just to get yourself off email lists is is complex. Oh. And yeah, but that's a challenge. I mean, that that's symptomatic of not having a coherent strategy around a customer profile, right? What yeah. is the customer profile? What is the identity that we're managing? But it's not just about managing it. It's safeguarding it. It's protecting it because it's about information about us. You know, it may not, it's, it may seem irrelevant to go, well, you know, um, I shop with the retailer and I've purchased these different products and I'm interested in these types of emails. That seems pretty benign to me. But when you go to something like a dating app or, you know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or, you know, you're buying stuff maybe you don't want everyone to know about. I mean, or even making phone calls, say, you know, that you don't want to be recorded um, or visiting websites that you may not want to be recorded. I mean, all of that is part of this bigger picture around, yeah, like what's the strategic intent around a customer profile and how do you make that not just valuable for customers, but also make sure they feel safe with it as well. I mean, yeah. some of the consumer attitudes that are changing right now, like the Pew Research Center has said that six out of 10 Americans uh, say that being tracked online is unavoidable now. And then more than 80% of them are now saying that uh, that they're concerned about the data that's being collected. And so that's in, that's the US, one of the biggest markets in ad tech. So, mm. you know, you think about that and you think about privacy and you think, well, there's a lot in that. And so I think that the event will be a great meeting place to actually get into these debates, get into these discussions and really see what some of the leaders, um, particularly in brand side, are thinking about, but also in tech as well and how they're innovating and, and bringing solutions to market. I want to talk about Singapore because, Neil, you are based in Singapore. You work out of there. Uh, yep. It's a fascinating city. Everyone I've spoken to say that uh, Singapore is one of the most unique places in the world. But I want to know a little bit more. What's a tech scene like over in Singapore? I mean, the Cloud Asia event is based there, and it's a great strategic hub because it's so close to Southeast Asia. Um, it means that everyone from around that region, even India, it's easy to get to. Um, and, but I think you will have more than 20,000 attendees. So this is no small event. Mm -hmm. uh, is Singapore got that sort of vibrant tech culture like you see in Silicon Valley or in some places in India and China as well? What's that like, that tech culture? Are people building software there? Or what, what does that look like? Yeah, I mean, I, definitely to a certain extent. I mean, I wouldn't say it's like the, the, the scale, but I mean, it's for sure. You know, you think about Singapore, it's a small island, but it's a very attractive opportunity to launch your brand into ASEAN the greater Asia area. I mean, it's English speaking. If you're coming from the West, it's got fantastic connectivity, you know, like Singapore is a hub to get to places like, you know, like Thailand, Vietnam, Indonesia, where there's so much kind of going on, so much opportunity. I mean, e e the e-commerce industry during COVID was an amazing, like uh, example of that, just the ramp up in activities. We're looking at the, the offline to online and stuff, you know, the opportunities for like everyone from the customer data platform guys to the, the marketing, uh, like activations and like literally ad tech, like everything. It was just such a, such a unique time. But I think Singapore is always 
driven, you know, from the government level, very tech focused, you know, it's a fintech hub, the startup culture is thriving. I mean, there's thousands of startups across many different industries, uh, stuff like sustainability is becoming more and more focused, you know, the data center operators and stuff are starting to get more and more on that side and the cooling, uh, from the builds, uh, God, I mean, the data space is vibrant. You've got so many new companies coming in to use Singapore as a base up into the rest of Asia. Uh, I touched on fintech as well. I mean, this is the MAS here, the Monetary Authority of Singapore run a huge fintech festival later in the year, which is another huge kind of event, um, specifically in the finance side. I mean, there's just, there's so much going on, you know, it's, 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 it's great as well to be kind of coming out of this post pandemic kind of, you know, doldrums back into the face-to-face environment. People are getting a chance to fly out here, meet their partners, like, um, you know, meet their clients, start all the plans that they had back two years ago and now ramping up again. It's, it's a pretty exciting time to be able to offer up this event to everyone. Um, that's such kind of a crucial time and in such a great place. Like Singapore is just an awesome area to be able to do this, you know? Yeah. It's, it's fascinating. I mean, like I, I think about Singapore in the context of China and mm-hmm. if you look at a brand like, um, like ByteDance, an mm-hmm. AI parent company for brands like TikTok, and others like China is is taking a lot of those Western concepts such as social media, e-commerce, and they are rapidly scaling it because they've got the population. They've got a user base that they can activate straight away into. You know, they've got um, so much in terms of tech innovation, manufacturing. I mean, it is a. Um, they're just launching. Yeah. They're just about to launch a data warehouse as well called Byte House. Yes, exactly. And also e-commerce solutions. Yeah. I mean, and um, and ByteDance just announced Pico 4, which is their new VR Oculus competitor. Right. You think about all of this tech uh, innovations happening just in China. And then you look at Singapore's strategic proximity to China as well. I mean, not just China, but also, you know, in Japan and, and all these other really interesting tech hubs. And if I would say that, you know, tech innovation is increasingly moving towards the east of the world. I mean, Silicon Valley, the past sort of 20 years have been, I wouldn't even actually more say go even further than that. 40 years of tech innovation has happened in uh, Western United States. I mean, in Silicon Valley, that's where all the innovation came from. That's where all the yeah. big- companies that really define the web. I mean, how, uh, you know, a Mountain View is, is the home of Microsoft and Google and Palo Alto for Meta. You know, there's all these amazing companies that have defined our experience on the web that have come out of the West. But now I'm seeing that the whole center of gravity, all the innovation and all of that sort of, you know, I call it, uh, I call it nerd energy, you know, <laughs> like what the, all the sort of crazy ideas that people are pursuing. It's increasingly coming out of places of, of places like China, India, and I think also places like Singapore as well. Um, I mean, it's a really fascinating time to be in our space because I think those are the big powerhouses. I mean, um, I'm talking to more Indian founders just recently because that's where all the startup innovation is coming from. All the interesting companies, companies are coming out of India. Yeah, man. I mean, India is a huge, there's so much going on there across like all industries. It's, it's it, you know, it is essentially like another Silicon Valley, like ramping up like aggressively, you know, loads of founders, loads of investment, like a huge population. And I think that's key, right? The population aspect of China, India, like the regions, Indonesia and that, you know, it's, you look, as I said, like the super apps, like everybody can get everything in one place. And that's all just essentially a bucket for collecting customer data, right? And then there's all the stuff that is around that. Um, you mentioned ByteDance. Like ByteDance have got 
a big headquarters here in Singapore, you know, that launched just before COVID. Razor have got a big headquarters here, you know, all these um, companies like uh, Bike Dance have actually got their e-commerce unit at the at the event, uh, Bike Plus, um, which is, again, super interesting. There's just so much going on in the space. But for sure, the driver there is just the vast amount of population and the ability to innovate at scale across different kind of environments, you know. And like, you look at stuff like, especially maybe on the fintech and cross-border side, you know, you've got like payments going cross-border from people back to, you know, Philippines, Indonesia, Vietnam, Thailand, all across India, all like across the region. It's a, that's a huge industry in itself, you know, and it's uh, with that different aspects of customer data, the regulatory environments, and again, privacy aspects and everything come into play. It's, it's just, it's like a whack, right? It'd be, it'd be interesting to see if somebody had their, had the mental fortitude to try and map it out in some sort of map, but I reckon they'd probably go insane. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think I'd definitely go insane, Neil. Yeah, I mean, you think the Martech, I mean, what's it up to now? It's 8,000 companies or something? Yeah, there. just shy of 10,000. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah, you can imagine mapping like the whole tech map. It'd be like, I don't know, it'd be like a, you know, a globe or something. It'd be insane. Yeah, it's incredible. It's <laughs> the thing that I find fascinating is that yeah, you're right that there's a user base is substantial in both countries. But one of the big differences with China is that, well, it is in not a, demo a democratic company. So when they threw Jack Ma into prison, uh, and he obviously was a founder of Alibaba, one of the biggest yes. e-commerce, a rival to Amazon, really, in terms of e-commerce. They threw him into prison because of the market power of Alibaba, and they wanted to sort of cut that back. That's perhaps one of the only sort of risks that I see with the China situation with startups and building tech is that a lot of that that just the political environment makes it very hard to break out very hard to go global as well uh, but in places like india like india and us relations are you know fairly strong and you know yeah. uh, there's so many tech ceos now are from an indian background yeah i think that that's why i'm a little bit more bullish on india than china just for that reason is that it's a more open society um and it is more sort of geared towards uh, collaboration on the global stage whereas china is a little bit more restricted in, in in that way but but on the other side i think yeah i mean it is a good time i mean look um it's I think right now, um, learning <laughs> some Hindi is probably not a bad idea. Um, <laughs> learning some Mandarin is probably not a bad idea if you want to work in tech, because uh, that's yeah. where a lot of the great innovation is coming. If you're a VC, if you're an investor, I mean, learning a bit of a language could actually probably go a long way. Um, yeah, for sure. Time and country actually probably would go a long way. But just a, one more point, which I think is an interesting one to raise around why these two countries are rising in the MarTech space. I think it also has to do with COVID. COVID brought the world uh, together and it also driven this concept of out, outsourcing. Now, you, if you don't need employees in a room um, in a literal physical location, you can have employees anywhere in the world. Why wouldn't you hire people in India? Why wouldn't you hire people, say, out of different parts of Asia? Now, that is a strategic opportunity because it lowers costs uh, for brands uh, in terms of talent. But you know what it also does? It increases the skills and the opportunity network for Indians and for people in Asia as well. Or so sure. on that other side, you know, coming out of COVID, I think a lot of business leaders are going, well, there is a huge substantial talent base that are coming out of India as well. Um, not just that, you know, the borders are fluid now, we can just jump on a Zoom call and, and have a conversation and do business. It's not just that, it's wow, there's actually a lot to offer there as well. But um, but I think there's a few edges on that. But as we round out this conversation, Neil, and thank you for sharing your insights. It's just really interesting to get that big picture view of what's going on in Asia and the MarTech space right now. 
Um, I want to ask you, I mean, what's on the roadmap for big data and AI world? So you've got the event on the 12th to the 13th of October. Uh, you've got hundreds of exhibitors. We've got booths everywhere. We've got conversations happening. But what else is on the roadmap for you coming going into 2023? God, man, so much. I mean, <laughs> just try to get these two days out of the way first, man. I mean, there's like, what, 500 exhibitors. And I think we've got was it 22 theaters of content covering everything, you know? So once we get past this, it's basically at a full swing. You know, we're running a series of kind of senior leaders um, summits in next April, which we're going to do this four of them. So we're focusing one on retail and e-commerce. There's a cybersecurity focused one. I'll be running my data and AI kind of senior leaders summit. Um, and then there's a sort of cloud and DevOps focused one as well. So we'll do one a week in April. There, uh, there I mean, we, we, we were fortunate in the timing with the restrictions during COVID that we were, we've been running these events for the past two years. We ran them this April and we managed to run them last April as well. So they're kind of like an established, really kind of nice setting within a one day senior leader kind of summit round tables, like all use case driven case studies. It's, it's a really fantastic kind of platform for a select group of companies to kind of get involved in the exhibition, small exhibition sites and engage with kind of senior data leaders. And then we'll be full production for the 2023 uh, Tech Week events again, which will be next October again at Marina Bay Sands. So it's a busy, busy old times. <laughs> well, that's great. I mean, plenty on the roadmap. Definitely go check it out. Big data and AI world. Heaps to um, look at there. Heaps to jump in. And I, I, what I'm looking forward to the most is that opportunity to have great discussions, great debates, and really learn from leaders or, or from all over the world. And so that's a really wonderful thing. But Neil, I did ask you in our uh, episode prep, I asked, what is one thing that you're looking forward to the most outside of it being over and finish the work <laughs> and outside of like being able to meet a bunch of people that you probably haven't seen in person for a little while. What's the one thing you're looking forward to? Is there a talk or is there um, a, an exhibition that you're interested in? I've got to, I mean, oh, I mean, selfishly, I'm very, very obviously looking forward to big data and AI world. I mean, that's, you know, it's kind of, it's like my baby, you know, I've kind of grown it to the point where we've got such a great raft of companies, but I think the most, I guess the thing I'm, I, I, again, the thing I am looking forward to the most is getting the community back together, you know, seeing old friends, but also making lots of new ones. And also I think from, if I had to pick one thing, like we've got a fantastic raft of kind of chief data officers from banks, government, insurance, pharma, retail, speaking in the conference, and they're all delivering case studies or use cases or like that kind of, they're coming with their clients to talk about deployments. And, you know, there's just, there's so much going on. But if I had to pick one thing, it's definitely the content. I'm really looking forward to hearing from these senior data leaders and how they've, especially over the past couple of years, you know, there's going to be a lot of new, interesting kind of methodologies and data strategies coming out of COVID. And it's great to be able to have so many theaters to feature so many of them across the different industry verticals that are kind of driving the innovation here in Asia. I think this is going to be very good for learning, very good for knowledge sharing and really contributing to the marketplace of ideas in the industry. Where can we find you and your work online? Uh, I mean, I'm very kind of prevalent on LinkedIn. Anybody wants to connect, feel free, drop me a message. Uh, you can find us uh, just at bigdataworldasia.com and then all the other uh, events are kind of linked uh, through the website. But that's that's where we're at. Awesome. Well, thanks for joining us, Neil. Making sense of MarTech interviews, leaders like Neil from all over the world. And so if you'd like to listen, read, subscribe, you can join the MarTech Weekly. So thanks for joining us, Neil. 
Uh, no worries, mate. Thank you very much for having me on. It was a pleasure.